This is the Storyline Podcast, produced by The Day in New London, Connecticut. And I'm Carlos Virgen, the host. So that, that editorial was in place when I learned of this bigger breaking news that the, of the president's uh, decision uh, to fire the FBI director. On Tuesday, with the breaking news that President Trump had fired FBI director James Comey, Paul Schwenier, editorial page editor, had to quickly rewrite the editorial he had just published. They uh, abide by the legal doctrine called abatement ab initio, um, also known as the abatement doctrine. We take a look at a few high-profile court cases we've been following, including the recent decision by the state of Massachusetts to vacate Aaron Hernandez's conviction. First, Paul Schwenier stopped by to talk about the big news out of Washington this week. Hey, Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Um, so last night you were uh, a little busy, right? You had just written your most recent editorial uh, and had to quickly do a rewrite with some of the breaking news that, that happened in the evening yesterday, um, the firing of Comey by uh, President Trump. Yeah, so on, um, on Tuesday afternoon, uh, we had already posted our editorial for the day. It was live on theday.com, and it concerned the testimony uh, before the Senate of uh, former Acting Attorney General Sally Yates, uh, also fired by by President Trump, by the way. Uh, and, and the point of the editorial uh, you know, was pointing out that uh, President Trump was uh, immediately uh, taking to Twitter, even during her testimony, uh, dismissing it, telling people not to pay attention to it, saying it's, uh, this whole Russian thing is old news. Uh, so that, that editorial was in place when I learned of this bigger breaking news that the, of the president's uh, decision uh, to fire the FBI director, uh, James Comey, and so uh, worked uh, as quickly as we could to update the editorial to incorporate both these things, both his, the president's reactions to uh, Yates' testimony and then his firing of Comey. And the common thread, at least one common thread to us, is uh, we compared it to The Wizard of Oz, uh, where uh, the wizard is detected behind the curtain saying, don't look behind this curtain. And uh, we feel that all this points in the direction that the president is trying very hard to uh, not have uh, investigators look behind the curtain of what really went on and any possible connections between his campaign and, and the uh, Russians. Is there any precedent to this kind of action in, in recent memory uh, of a, a president taking this kind of action? There actually is no precedent for a president uh, firing an FBI director under these circumstances where the FBI is known to be looking at some issues concerning potential illegal or inappropriate behavior by an administration. There, There is no uh, precedent for a president uh, in that situation because it, it it certainly doesn't look good. It doesn't suggest good things uh, when you uh, fire someone. At the same time, they're taking a, a, a look that maybe you don't want them to take a look at. It, it, it's it, so that there is no precedent for that. I think the closest the people want to point to is when Richard Nixon, um, Watergate was in, under full steam, and and it was the noose was closing in on uh, his neck as president. Uh, there had been a special a prosecutor appointed to, to look at that objectively, independently, Archibald Cox. 
and uh, Nixon quite uh, infamously uh, fired him in the Saturday Night Massacre and, and, and ordered people to go to his office and get any information they could find uh, that maybe Cox uh, was looking into. Uh, that's sort of the closest parallel. I think, you know, it's a fair parallel, right. uh, but nothing like this when an FBI director is taken out under these circumstances. I- interesting you mentioned uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, the Richard Nixon Library tweeted out uh, late last night, um, uh, and this is a quote from their tweet. Fun fact, colon, President Nixon never fired the director of the FBI, and there was hashtag, hashtags FBI director, hashtag not Nixonian, which was kind of uh, well, interesting. There so you go. The, you have a, tri- a trivia question for uh, next cocktail hour. You can, uh, right. <laughs> um, and so back to the the, ap- the appointment of the FBI director. Uh, typically, it's a 10-year appointment, right? And it, it's staggered so that um, it, it falls in between uh, presidential elections, right? It can overlap. It overlapped her. Right. And the idea being this is, yes, it's a, an appointment by the president. So pres- but presidents have respected the uh, that they're not above the law as well, so uh, leave the FBI director alone when they, they're looking into something, if it's uh, something you'd rather not they be looking into, that they're doing their job. Um, and you mentioned uh, the special prosecutor during the Nixon ad- administration, uh, the Watergate investigation. Um, how likely do you think that uh, now that an independent prosecutor or, or independent uh, commission will be formed to, to continue the investigation into the Russia links? As to a special prosecutor, that seems less likely. Uh, Congress used to have reserved for itself the authority to appoint uh, a special a prosecutor. Uh, that elapsed. Uh, it had gotten political in some past controversies, and, and so that authority lapsed, so it now rests with the attorney general whether or not to appoint a special prosecutor. Well, the attorney general is Jeff Sessions, and he's already recused himself from um, uh, anything to do with the uh, Russian investigation because he was not forthright and didn't, uh, uh, in answering questions during his confirmation hearing to the Senate, that he had had a conversation with a Russian ambassador. That decision now, whether to appoint a, a special prosecutor, would fall to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, uh, who's already already been only been in office uh, a couple of weeks, and he's the guy who wrote the letter uh, giving Trump justification for firing Comey. So it's it could happen, but. Looking at how the, this politics is playing out, it would seem unlikely that he would take that step now and, and appoint a special prosecutor, though I think the calls for that are going to uh, really accelerate. Uh, there does seem to be a, a, at least a little bit more uh, bipartisan support for the idea of, of a, an independent commission. You're definitely getting more bipartisan willingness. It would be interesting uh, whether... Right now, we have investigations going on in the Senate and the House, multiple investigations. Uh, they're, they're well underway, so whether uh, those uh, leaders in the, in the House and the Senate at this point will want to step aside and allow an independent investigation, or will they, will they want to show that they can take it through? Uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, everyone's uh, assessing this thing in the moment because it was it was a real shocker. Uh, no one, I, I didn't see anyone see this coming. Certainly not the way it happened. 
the fact that he, uh, the president took this action when, without even sitting down with uh, FBI Director Comey and letting him know the decision he reached, uh, apparently learned about it from a newscast as he was at a, an FBI in function California, in California right? and yeah. uh, didn't have the uh, privilege. Uh, you know, the New York Times, as we talk, is just broken a story uh, contending that recently, days ago, that uh, the director, James Comey, went to Mr. Rosenstein, the guy that wrote the letter that undermined him and led to his firing, had asked him for the authority to expand the investigation into uh, into Russian connection with the Trump campaign. He said he would need more officers, more money. Uh, they were getting somewhere. So uh, that's breaking news, and that'll be interesting to see. Follow. Exactly. Know. Uh, moving forward, uh, how confident are you that um, Comey's successor will, will will be able to be independent? He'll really have to get someone um, that's sort of above reproach. Uh, I don't think he's going in that direction, but maybe I'll be surprised. He surprised us before. Anyone is going to be looked at very skeptically. Right. The, the president's sort of uh, modus operandi is to put people in place that he feels have a loyalty such. So might you see a Rudy Giuliani? Uh, might you see a Chris Christie? I, that would not surprise me. I, that would be so volatile as far as I don't know that they can get confirmed. Um, but I don't know that Trump cares. He, he, he might want, you might want the fight, see it as another way of uh, uh, kind of diverting attention to, to the topic at hand. Hold on to your editorials, Paul, before you publish it. Yeah, wait, this, wait another hour before you publish your next editorial. Yeah, this administration sort of being exhausting. <laughs> we just we're maybe 120 days in or wherever, and uh, it seems like day to day there's uh, surprises. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep uh, keep updating those editorials. Well, thank you for stopping by. Well, thank you. Court reporter Karen Florin joins us to talk about some court cases she's been covering. Today, we welcome uh, court reporter Karen Florin. Thank you for stopping by. Hi, Carlos. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the Hernandez, uh, Aaron Hernandez case that uh, the conviction was recently overturned in Massachusetts. And uh, you wrote a story looking at the difference uh, difference in law uh, in Connecticut versus um, Massachusetts and how in Connecticut Hernandez's conviction would have stood. Can you give us a little bit of background on on the, the doctrine uh, on which the, the conviction was overturned in Massachusetts? Sure thing. Um, they uh, abide by the legal doctrine called abatement ab initio, um, also known as the abatement doctrine. And um, essentially it means that if you die before your appeals are exhausted, um, then your conviction has to be vacated. So that's what happened with Hernandez, who committed suicide in prison. And how does that differ from um, the law in, in Connecticut? Right. In Connecticut, um, they would, in fact, keep the conviction, but they would dismiss the appeals because they would then become a moot issue. The overturned conviction has been appealed, right? And it's it's potentially going to go in front of the state Supreme Court, the Massachusetts state Supreme Court? Yes. Well, first, the state Supreme Court has to agree to hear the case. Right. And if they hear the case, um, it's 
not a retrial of any evidence. Um, generally, they rule on issues of law, so it's unclear really what they would do with this if, in fact, it got if it got to their bench. On Monday, you reported uh, that um, Richard Bruno, the landlord uh, accused of uh, child pornography in, in London, among other charges. Can you give us a little bit of background on the case? Sure, absolutely. Um, Mr. Bruno last year was charged first by the state after uh, the police, um, working with the Computer Crimes Task Force, did um, one of these uh, stings in which they got him to come as if he was meeting a 13-year-old girl um, to have sex with. So he was arrested first on that charge, and they continued their investigation, um, did a search of some of his properties. He owns, um, I think, 18 properties. Um, and they learned that he was um, creating pornography. Um, it turned out that one of the people that he was using, one of the women that he uh, had had sex with in exchange for cash and marijuana, was a minor under federal law. Now, she was 17 years old. He made the distinction at his uh, plea hearing the other day that she was 17 and a half. In Connecticut, um, it was legal for him to have sex uh, with a 17-year-old because the age of consent here is 16. However, um, the federal age of consent is 18. So he was um, indicted on federal charges to which he pleaded guilty Monday, and now he's looking at a mandatory minimum sentence. That's a sentence of at least 15 years and up to 30 years when he's sentenced in July. On the federal charge. On the federal charge. Child pornography. Typically, why would a defendant um, plead guilty on, on a charge like that? Well, he pleads guilty because, and he even said it during his hearing, I can't go to trial. Um, the evidence against him is devastating. The jury would have to be shown the video, um, you know, the pornographic video of him engaged in a sex act with this woman. And then the prosecutors would introduce all kinds of other evidence, uh, including, you know, tools of bondage that were found uh, during a search of his warehouse at his Mountain Ave address. Can you tell us a little bit about the state charges that are still pending? Yeah, the state charges, which include the um, 13, the charge of trying to entice the minor to have sex, are still pending. Generally, what has been happening is um, with state and federal charges is that once the federal charges are resolved, uh, the state looks at the outcome, and if they're satisfied, they will not prosecute him on, on the state charges. So I think that's probably likely to happen here. He'll get a, he's, he's going to get a very lengthy prison sentence, and I think the state will say, okay, we'll give that, we'll enter what we call a nolly. We won't prosecute. Now let's move on to the Chung case. Uh, you reported uh, last week that um, the, his retrial is back on the docket. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on the original trial and what led to it um, being overturned and now looking at a second trial? Sure. Um, Chihan Eric Chung was uh, charged in 2009 with shooting his wife, um, Paige Bennett, to whom he'd only been married for, I think, two and a half, three weeks. He called the police after he did it, um, sometime after he did it, maybe a, a few hours, and said, I killed my wife. 
So he has always admitted from the start that he shot his shot to death his wife. Um, the, however, and this is something a lot of people don't understand, is when you are charged with a crime, just about any crime, you do not go in and plead guilty immediately. Um, it's not the way our court system works. So he pleaded not guilty, and he took his case to trial. In July 2014, uh, a jury of 12 uh, heard the case and found him guilty of both murder and manslaughter. Um, that being the problem, because then his attorneys then appealed and said those are conflicting charges. So that the question would be, how could the state have moved forward with those charges at, uh, that turned out to be conflicting? I think the problem here, Carlos, was um, with the way that the jury was instructed. Um, so the prosecutor, defense attorney, and judge work together to prepare these instructions um, that the judge gives to the jury before they begin deliberations. Um, in this case, um, the jury was not told that if you find him guilty of murder, then you should not consider the manslaughter charge. The murder charge um, holds that he killed his wife with intent. The manslaughter charge holds that he acted uh, with reckless disregard. So they are considered inconsistent verdicts. Right. Um, so, but those instructions were given to the jury. Uh, that were not given to the jury. Right. They were not instructed that they should stop if they find him guilty of murder. Whereas Judge Strachbein, in a quote in your story, says that the, there was no error on the part of the state, that the error was the jury's. Well, How Judge Strachbein points out that um, there was nothing wrong with the evidence in the case. The right. evidence in the case remains the same. Um, I think her statement was that, in fact, he was convicted of of both of those charges, you know, of, of too many crimes. The state says we're going we're gonna to prosecute him again on both murder and manslaughter, but this time the jury will be instructed that they need to stop if they find him guilty of murder. If not, they need to go on and consider the manslaughter charge. Um, and uh, some relief on the part of the, the victim's um, family? Paige Bennett's children, Paige Bennett's mom has since died. She watched the first trial um, and then died. So she never knew, in fact, that this case would be over, this conviction would be overturned. Um, her sisters and children are watching now, and her, one of her daughters, uh, Leah Gums, told me the last time that she was just absolutely disgusted with what had happened. Um, although, you know, it's given hope to Chung's family um, who think maybe he has another chance at, you know, getting free sometime before he dies. Uh, state attorney uh, feels that the, the case, that their case is stronger since um, uh, some information has come out since the, the closing of the first trial. Right. What happened was um, during that first trial, the state had to fight to get in evidence um, that Chung had threatened another woman way back in his past, and that evidence was allowed in and was not overturned on the appeal, so now the state can introduce that evidence with a little more confidence, I think. Thank you very much for stopping by, Karen. Thank you very much, Carlos.